Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On the evening, a kid half his age who idolizes Cristiano Ronaldo scored a 93rd minute winner for Manchester United, sparking wild celebrations at Craven Cottage. That same Ronaldo burns all remaining bridges with a club whose support, both from fans and coaches, first catapulted him to the very top of the game, then backed him through the lot, welcomed him back despite several previous transgressions and made him hero all over again. Of course, we'll be talking about that and Ronaldo, but let's not be a Ronaldo. Let's pay tribute to a wonderful moment as well for a young man who could hardly hide his smile by the Thames on Sunday evening. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining me, Harry Robinson, and my co-host, Jack Tate. How are we going to go about this? Well, we'll start with Garnacho, then we'll move on to Ronaldo, and then we'll look at the overall performance against Fulham in a 2-1 win for United, which will include discussion on Eric Ten Hag's substitutions, Terrell Malassi at right back, and plenty more. Let's start with Garnacho. We last spoke to you all on Thursday night, and in the recordings I sent to Jack, I said... Something like, can't remember exactly, but the World Cup is coming round the corner and it's Argentina, not England, that Manchester is in love with at the moment. And that's ever more true after Sunday, is it not, Jack? I don't think I've ever seen so many flags in a United away end. And it was Argentina flags <laughs> that were flying at Craven Cottage, not England flags or anything related to United. It was all Argentina. And then Martinez, I think, is already developing into something of a cult hero. Has obviously garnered a lot of that Argentina love that's been flowing through Old Trafford all season. And Garnacho is just adding to the party. I mean, you can't, you couldn't have written any better script. Not only the fact that it's obviously Garnacho, an 18 year old kid playing in probably what is like 10th appearance, something like, like that for the club. But also the fact that it's the last game before the World Cup, literally the last, one of the last kicks of the Premier yeah. League that we're going to see for the next six weeks. Yeah. And it's Alejandro Garnacho, a kid coming through the United Academy, which not only represents the club in that sense, but also represents, I think, a lot of what United's best players down the years have been wingers coming off their flank inside, starting, starting so wide on the touchline, coming in and putting the ball in the back of the net. And it feels almost poetic that it's come on a day when his idol and United's last great left winger has, you know, probably severed ties with the club. Yeah. And the importance of the goal shouldn't be under understated as well. A, his first Premier League goal, of course, but also means the United finish this pre-Christmas Premier League section. Not quite the first half of the season, but nearly. It means we finish fifth, three points off the Champions League spots with a game in hand on some of the teams in the top four. It's, it's good. It's important. Corey Lennox, one of our patrons, says... Is Garnacho good enough to continually let him start and be a main feature throughout the season? Or is, or is this a flash in the pan for a player that other teams aren't used to seeing yet? The sky is clearly the limit for the boy and it's so exciting to watch. I think we can all uh, 
sympathise with the the last couple of sentences. Yeah, it was just, it, it was a brilliant moment. And Garnacho does give us something entirely different. He holds, as you were saying, so wide. He, he gets this kind of the typical old, old fashioned coach's expression, chalk on his boots. He gets sometimes like lost in the advertising boards when you're watching <laughs> on TV. It's so wide. That's probably partly because I'm colorblind and, <laughs> and my brother is as well. But anyway, um, but he gives us, it's like acceleration and pace and confidence and belief. And then throw on top of that a, a good understanding of the game. We're yet to see quite how good it is. And a couple of skills here and there, a couple of just moments of of brilliance and invention and creativity. He's got a lot that United's other players don't have. Yeah, I think it's just a, a dynamism that I don't think many other players in the United team has. Rashford has it at times, but I think Garnacho, to be honest, has it probably more consistently, consistently than Rashford does. For now. I, for now, yeah, exactly. Because Rashford was kind of like that when he first came in. And I think that is something that it goes a little bit the more you play because you sort of pick and choose your moments. But I mean, to answer... To answer the question of how much can we trust Garnacho, I think I don't really think the problem is can we trust him and is he good enough? I think to be honest, the bigger problem, I mentioned this a little bit after the Thursday game, is just where's he gonna fit in? Because the the problem for Garnacho and the problem for United is just that we're again back in this situation where we have a plethora of players that all want to play on the left. You know, now I'd be hesitant, I've mentioned this before, I'd be hesitant to move Rashford out of his left wing pl- wing spot, considering how well he's been playing this season, starting on the left. Garnacho and Rashford, neither of them seem to want to play on the right very much. And in any case, we've yeah. got Anthony playing out there. So it, I think that, be. honestly, is going to be the biggest chance. There will be chances, especially right after the World Cup, is going to be Garnacho's biggest exactly, chance. Yeah. If England get relatively far in the competition, he's going to come in... And you would imagine probably start a few games in a row. Yeah, but not just that, but also second half of this season is is going to be just as busy and, and packed as the first half of it, or at least as, as the last six weeks or so. We Everyone is well aware there are very few gaps in the schedule. There's, even, there's so few gaps that we currently can't fit a couple of games in against Crystal Palace and Leeds. So there will be a need to rotate. And I think Ten Hag would appreciate the ability to rotate that hasn't really been on offer so far but I think I think the key question that Corey's getting at is kind of what you were hinting at that Rashford had that dynamism Anthony Alanga had that dynamism when he came in plenty of, of youth players do it comes from a a confidence and belief that you have when you have pretty much never made a mistake at senior level when you're just on an absolute buzz when all your mates are still playing in youth football and you're you're, you're godlike in comparison and there's no getting away from that the the buzz and the ego you must get from it is just enormous have you seen a player maintain that kind of just relentless confidence and belief maybe ronaldo <laughs> Not off the top of my head, honestly. Yeah, and I think it. I, I think it's just hard to to sustain anything like that because you have, like, Garnacho hasn't experienced any difficult times in the first team yet. Yeah, and and that will come at, at some point as it comes for everyone. And the Maybe that's why someone like like Ronaldo is the only yeah. people that don't have it because they don't face hard times very often. Yeah, but Corey's other point is that will the opposition work him out? And there there is obviously a bit of that that the more you play, the more the opponent knows what to expect. Because at the moment, there's he's putting fear into into fullbacks. And that's, that's especially why Ten Hag brought him on against Fulham, because he knew that the his opposition, his opposite number would, was on a booking. And he's obviously overreach. benefited as well from coming on, you know, after, what was it, 70, 70 minutes? And, yeah. you know, if, if that ball from Ericsson was played in the fifth minute of the game, he's probably yeah. not making up that ground on Diego yeah. Dovery. Because Garnacho's fresh... Diggled over, he's played 90 minutes. But I think the thing with Garnacho 
he he will get he will get worked out a little bit as as every player in the world does after they burst onto the scene. But I think what and I, I mentioned this last time we talked about gun action. I think what I'm so impressed by him and why I think this is more sustainable than someone like an Anthony Alanga is that I think when Alanga came in and played well last season, it was mainly him getting himself into good positions, having quite good movement, and then the the quality on the ball was still lacking. With Garnacho, it's he's got both things. It is that you know he's he's making some really good runs. Defenders maybe haven't quite worked out how to play against him, but the quality on the ball is at a really really good level. And even if yeah. the defender works him out, even if teams maybe get a better sense of how to play against him, if you have that quality, that's going to carry him through. Even if he is you know maybe getting marked a lot tighter or isn't being given the space to make those out to in runs, even if he's just receiving the ball to feet with a man on him, when you have that quality, you can still produce really good moments. I mean, some of the balls that have been pinged out to him were not yes. easy balls to control. And every single time his first touch is beautiful. You know, it, it, I think what stood out to me about Garnacho is obviously he's very quick. Like we said, he, caught, he made up so much ground on De Cordova Reed. He's very skillful. But I think what allows him to even use all that ability with his feet that he has is that every single time he gets the ball, it's one touch and it's yeah. down immediately at his feet and he can go. So much of the problem with young young players is that they have this ability to beat a man. They have great pace to burn. But if it takes you two or three t- uh, touches to get the ball down and settle to when you can dribble, you're going to let the other team get a man back and you're going to be faced with two V1s every yeah. single time. Garnacho can isolate his man so often because he gets the ball down, he allows him to dribble immediately after he receives. And he's good at making space for himself. And he's and, and because he holds so wide as well. And that's the kind of thing that opponents will pick up on. But when they do, he can then add a bit more variety to his game. So at the moment he's holding incredibly wide and the fullback's not quite as wide. So as soon as the ball comes to him, the two things that give him the space to work in are A, the touch that you've just spoken about, which is, has been really good so far, but also the fact that he's just is quite a distance away from his marker. Opponents will work that out and will start putting their, if he's going to be starting for United, they will tell their fullback to, to stay a little bit wider or maybe a midfielder to come back and, and stay on Ganacho if he really is offering that quality. But then he can add some variety to his game and come inside and, and change that kind of starting position he has. But I think and what if that I've does happen, in- maybe maybe his biggest benefit will be he's going to create space for everyone else around yeah. him too. You know, if yeah. he's wide and the fullback's dragged out, there leaves more space for Martial or Fernandez, whoever it might be, that can take up that space that's just been left behind. Yeah, I think what I'm most impressed with, having watched him pretty much weekly for the last two or three years since he joined the under 18s from Atletico Madrid, is the improvement he's already shown this year. That I don't think is just about confidence or belief or ego in the, the the way he's added variety to his game over summer. He he is adding variety already. He can add a lot more in terms of how often he takes it with his left foot or right foot, how often he cuts inside, how often he goes outside and how much he's improved his decision-making already as well. Because if I think back to his, his big, mo- he's had two big moments this year. One was on Sunday evening, the, the biggest one, but also the FA Youth Cup final where he scored two goals in that 3-1 win in front of 67,000 people or something. Still, he scored again. His seventh goal of the Youth Cup run. He is the star of the Youth Cup run. And he has definitely won the Youth Cup for Manchester United here tonight. I I thought the Youth Cup final performance from him was actually pretty poor. And I would yeah. be I'd be very surprised if after that game, not immediately after while the celebrations weren't going, but at some point in the week after that, the coaches didn't say to him, actually the, the way you played there wasn't wasn't good enough you scored two goals that's what you went out to do that's great but I I, I rechecked my notes for this a, a couple of weeks ago when I was 
um, making some notes on Garnacho and my notes from the Youth Cup final sat in the press box were at least five or six in the first half where I had kind of a mark down against his name for uh, a mistake in his decision making where so often he should have passed and he and he shot instead from kind of unrealistic angles from too far out or he chose the wrong pass or he, he loads of things like this it was a great moment but the difference in the decision making from that game into the first team, a much harder environment I've been so impressed with because that people would ask me my opinion on Ganacho and I'd say that would be one of the things I say is that the decision-making and the attitude that made him do that Youth Cup performance and got him all the headlines and that was brilliant, but I didn't think it was, I thought it wasn't right. I didn't think it was a good sign long-term and he's improved that massively. Um, I also loved... The other things he needs to improve on are just bulk up. And I think he's not been, he was in Argentina's 28 man preliminary squad. That was cut down to 26 and he he was one of the two that missed out. Perhaps Argentina will regret that because he's still technically allowed to go and swap back to Spain. But uh, we spoke about this with David De Gea recently and uh, we actually spoke about this about Ronaldo's first spell ages ago. He now has gone out for four weeks to have a bit of a break, have the limelight taken off him, which I think is another good thing and to bulk up and to get himself Premier League ready for the second half of the season. And that's a that's a massive opportunity for him. I mean, he's, yeah, he's going to get you know a month now of pretty much undivided attention from Eric Ten Hag and a, an amazing opportunity to work and, you know, get some really intense training done. Like you said, bulk up a little bit and as much as you can in, in the next month. But he's also set up to have a really good opportunity when the World Cup ends and United come back. You know, all of those other players that we mentioned that are playing out wide in, in Rashford and Anthony, kind of the two shoe-ins in those positions, both have a very good chance to go long into yeah. this World Cup. It's then kind of down to Garnacho and Sancho as the two players that won't be going to the World Cup in those positions to really take that position by the scruff of the neck when football comes back. Because, I mean, certainly for the League Cup game against Burnley that is happening literally, I think, two or two days after the World Cup final. The World Cup final is on Sunday. The Burnley game is on Tuesday. Yeah. So Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, so it will be almost definitely Garnacho and Sancho starting those games. The first Premier League game on Boxing Day is only eight days, I think, after the World Cup final. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Garnacho and Sancho in particular. And this is a huge. This is not not an opportunity that you ever normally get in any kind of normal season. You know, to have a month purely on the training ground in and with a smaller squad to to make a huge difference. And I, I'm excited for what we might see coming back off the World Cup because Garnacho should get a lot of opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And potentially against some tired defenders as well, uh, if, if they've been involved in the World Cup. Um, the, the final thing before we talk about Ronaldo is just his character. There's been quite a lot of discussion about this. Um, and even in the, the commentary just after the goal, such had been the level that the Sky Sports commentators, Martin Tyler and Gary Neville, have been talking about his attitude and about how Ten Hag and Fernandes have referenced it, that their immediate reaction to the goal was to kind of reference that conversation. Probably a little bit overblown. Uh, I fully understand why they did it, because that's kind of how commentary works. But the conversation around it's probably been a little bit overblown. But it's clear he has an ego that will need reining back. But as long as... There is always someone there to rein that ego back. That's a good thing, in my opinion. That is, he has that unquantifiable and almost kind of undescribable. He, he, he has that ability and confidence that you say, yeah, he's got it. And, and there's not many other ways to sum it up. 
And it's that kind of, yeah, he's got that United in him. And full, I mean, Fulham fans were booing him. Aged 18, that's a, a sign, a good one. Um, <laughs> and I, I loved seeing at the end um, the kind of uncontrollable smile he was given off because I've spoke to him a couple of times and I see him at work with the club uh, and interviewed him. And, and this is clearly, and people know this if they follow his Instagram or just followed his career at all and, and kind of how he celebrates and all of this stuff. He's obviously someone who's fairly obsessed by his appearance as many footballers are taking after, taking after Ronaldo. And the way that the kind of, the way his smile kind of broke through in those celebrations kind of, I, I thought, told a story of just how buzzing he was with it. There, there was no kind of, he couldn't hold, there was no kind of pretensions about his celebration. It kind of, or the emotion just kind of all flooded through. And I thought, ah, yeah, I, that, that, that made me very happy on Sunday evening and made my weekend. Um, we're going to have to move on to something less that's going to take the smile off our faces, which is a great shame, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess we, we've got to get into it. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the, the facts for those who are lucky enough to not be eternally doom scrolling on Twitter. So it's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. At 10 p.m. on Sunday, Piers Morgan, the uh, the all-round wet wipe bootlicker and immoral so-called journalist, revealed the clip from a 90-minute interview with Cristiano Ronaldo that will air on Wednesday and Thursday night this week. Uh, in the clips that followed over the next hour or so and a few articles with the Sun newspaper of all people, various quotes from Ronaldo were released along the lines of these four conclusions think one he said he felt betrayed by United two he said he felt he was being forced out of United by Ten Hag but also other figures other senior figures at the club three he said he didn't respect Ten Hag because Ten Hag doesn't have respect for him and four he said he didn't know who Ralph Rannick was when he was appointed interim manager at United United released no statement on Sunday night preferring to shine a light on Garnacho's goal including with a, uh, what I thought at least was a, a beautifully timed tweet of a video of that goal at 10pm which I liked United then said this on Monday afternoon they said Manchester United notes the media coverage regarding an interview by Cristiano Ronaldo the club will consider its response after the full facts have been established our focus remains on preparing for the second half of the season and continuing the momentum belief and togetherness being built among players manager staff and fans it's um, some pointed uh, adjectives and nouns in that statement from United the togetherness especially Jack, I'm trying to remember an equal display of a lack of self-awareness in football. And I'm struggling to think of one like this other than in 2009 when Cristiano Ronaldo, the same one, a year after the largest financial crisis of a lifetime, described himself as a slave while playing for Manchester United. The only the only thing that comes to mind is anywhere sort of close to this is the Lukaku interview last year when he was at Chelsea. Yeah basically yeah. begging for a move back to Inter Milan. Although to be fair, in that case, I get the feeling that Lukaku was maybe a little bit more <laughs> uh, sure of sort of what he was trying to do in that interview. I mean, I think before we even get to what he said, I think everything you can, everything you need to know about this interview, you can know from the fact that it took place with Piers Morgan and was aired in the Sun newspaper. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about a lack of self-awareness, you know, that is... First things first, before you even get into what was actually said in the interview, doing anything. Like that. Firstly, to me, it shows how far he's fallen, that Piers Morgan is sort of his only yeah. ally as such in the media. And it's just a lack of self-awareness in the north of England, especially putting anything in the Sun newspaper. It just shows a complete lack of understanding 
of what that community has been through. And then onto what he's actually said. Look, the, the thing is, right, I, I think about all of this, is if Ronaldo had done this last season, I think he would have got a lot of support. Because I think we all saw that this club was sort of falling apart to some degree. There was a complete lack of direction. And actually, at least from what we've seen so far, we obviously haven't seen the whole interview, but a lot of the quotes that has come out from the, the clips that have been put out on Twitter and stuff, Ronaldo is actually making some decent points. A lot of it kind of calling out the Glazers, calling out the club for their, their uh, old infrastructure. Fine. But this, A, is not the right time to do that. And then B, coming out and saying that you don't respect Eric Ten Hag because he doesn't respect you. I mean, that is just absolutely ridiculous. Let alone is it ridic- ridiculous to call out your own manager publicly, no matter what the circumstances. But Eric Ten Hag has done absolutely nothing to show that he's disrespected Cristiano Ronaldo. If yeah. anything, you could argue he's given Ronaldo too many chances. Yeah, just to run through a few of the examples. To begin with, he comes in a few days after Ronaldo doesn't join the preseason tour. Ten Hag stresses it's down to personal reasons, despite journalists saying otherwise. Never criticises his absence. Always says, yeah, fine, he's in our plans. He says again, he's part of our plans after Ronaldo leaves the friendly against Rayo Vallecano early, leaves Old Trafford early, and Tenag basically gives a, a telling off to the journalists who ask about only Ronaldo. Then Tenag, then Ronaldo leaves the Tottenham game early. Tenag disciplines him, but quietly, and still insists he has a role to play. Then reintegrates him a week later, gives him four consecutive starts and makes him captain. And then Ronaldo takes the final week of this first half of the season off, basically, seemingly feigning illness and instead sitting down for this interview. And that's before we even get on to last year's attempts to undermine the manager, the captain and the team, whatever. And I think you're right. Forgetting the whole way he's gone about it, had he done an external interview and, and criticised parts of the club in summer, or last season or before Ten Hag came in, or even now, I think many people would be on his side. But the fact he criticised Ten Hag or said Ten Hag showed him a lack of respect after all of those things I've just said, I think has just... I, I'm, I haven't seen any one United fan who sides with Ronaldo over that because Ten Hag has built up some loyalty already from United fans and rightly so because he's done pretty much everything right so far. Yeah, look, there's, there's more anti-Glazer sentiment among this United fan base than anything else. And a lot of what Ronaldo was saying, again, from the clips we've seen, we obviously haven't seen the whole interview, but a lot of what Ronaldo was saying in these clips is effectively calling out the Glazers, maybe not by name, but, yeah. you know, he but is calling bear out... In mind, bear in mind, Piers Morgan has basically released kind of the, the, not all of, but the biggest bombshells of the interview especially related to kind of the main top stuff at United and the bombshell he re- released related to the Glazers was hardly huge, was it? He basically said not not enough has changed since I left the club the first time and came back, which yeah, is good. Good. It's always good to see a United player kind of call out that stuff and make it more widely known, but it's hardly a huge bombshell, is it? No, of course. It's just Piers Morgan trying to spin everything to get as many views. But I mean, Ronaldo, uh, my point is Ronaldo's hardly called out something in the most blatant terms or, or anything like that. I mean, he's, no, but it's, de- it's still more than what you would normally expect from a player at the yeah. club. And it's still yeah. a big statement to to make. The problem is that, well, A, obviously he's called out Ten Hag, but also like you mentioned for the lack of self-awareness, he's doing this at a time when Eric Ten Hag seems to be rebuilding Man United in a more effective way than we've seen any manager post Sir Alex Ferguson. Where it's obviously still early days, but Ten Hag, I think, has cemented his authority quicker than any other manager since Sir Alex. Yeah. He is clearly improving this team and having us 
seeing a lot of progression from the start of the season. The club and the fan base are in a relatively good spot when it comes to what's happening on the pitch. And Ronaldo is quite clearly a detriment to that on the pitch. You know, it just screams of a of a bitter at this point, old man trying to desperately cling on to that last bit of attention that he's just desperately craving. And he feels that, to be honest, to me, this screams of, rather than any sort of disrespect from Ten Hag, it screams of, I don't like the team succeeding without me and I need my spotlight back. And that's exactly what it was at the end of the Spurs game too. And look, he won't have deliberately chosen the timing of this interview to come after Garnacho scored. But that being said, if he wanted this interview to be pulled and put out even... 15 or 30 seconds later that would have happened if you wanted it to be put out a day later that would have happened or a month later that would have happened and he didn't because instead he chose to overshadow the greatest day of his mentee's life so far basically um there's there's more we could say but i'm not sure it's, it's worth our time that much uh it's it's the one thing the one thing i wanted to ask i i asked you a few months ago if you thought there was any chance Ronaldo's contract could be terminated. And I think we both sort of said probably not because of the commercial. No, I don't, I don't think there was. I think there is now. Yeah. If, if that's your question. Yeah. I, th- I think there would be a chance. Yeah. Uh, not fully. I don't, I don't think he'd be sacked, but I think United would consider mutual termination. But I think if United are going to go into that kind of negotiation about ending his contract early, they should be playing hardball and, and happily risk having to keep him on the books for another six months and paying him that to say, actually, you're the one who wants to leave. You can't find the club will pay for you. So you're not getting your full wages. You're not getting half your wages. You're getting this much because that, he has disrespected the club rather than the other way around, I think. Um, yeah. Well, and I my think favorite, United well, hold almost all the leverage in this situation. That's what's Ronaldo, mad about it, isn't it? He's done it at the worst time he could have done. Yeah, Exactly. And that, that's kind of what we say. Like, if he'd have done this last season, all, all the ball would have been in his court because everyone could, could so clearly see what was going wrong at United. But he's done it at the worst yeah. possible time. And now the club has pretty much all the leverage because Ronaldo is the one that clearly wants out. I think that is what we're, you know, clearly getting out of this interview. But and United hold all the cards to say, well, no, I'm not just going to let you leave. And if if not, you're just going to sit here and not play. Because I don't think there's any way he's going to be making another appearance for United under Eric Ten Hag at this point. Yeah, I, I do agree. But ultimately, the point of this interview is to absolutely make sure he leaves in January. And I think ultimately that is what will happen, even though I agree with you that United holds the cards here. What's most telling about this to to sum up is that our childhood hero and possibly the greatest or at least the most talented player to ever take to the pitch at Old Trafford or one-off. There can be a debate about that. But that being said, he, our childhood hero has done this effectively for the second time, having done similar in 2009. And am I sad? No. Am I surprised? No. Am I disappointed? A little, but hardly. It's the it's an incredible final legacy for one of the club's greatest players to leave. There'll always be, I think, a, something of a black mark next to Ronaldo's name in United history. And to be honest, there probably was slightly after the what happened in two thousand and nine. Yeah, there was more. I was going to say that there there was already there was already a little bit of a black mark. I think this, but but I I think there was slightly more understanding at at that point of wanting to move to Madrid and and being a younger player. But I think at this point, you know, it's completely tarnished. And to be fair, I think. To be honest, we've all, we've all known for quite a while that Ronaldo didn't really love Man United. I think he loves Sir Alex Ferguson. I think yeah. that is genuine. 
But I don't, he, he didn't, he never loved the club. I'm sure there's lots of parts of it that he loved or still holds an affinity towards. But the truth is he is, uh, he is the most important thing to himself. And that is, that's exactly the same attribute that has made him the greatest or one of the greatest footballers of in history. Those two things yeah. can't be separated. And, and yeah, yeah. And as, yeah, it's a great point. And I, I think, it's a reason why you see a lot of the the very very ba- best athletes in various sports. It's their the ending of their career and how they go out is difficult, and yeah. it's, it's often messy because it's it's difficult to go from having been the best and undoubtedly the best and having a mentality that allows you to be the best to not being at that level and having to maybe rein that mentality that ego in a little bit. It is difficult, and I have sympathy for Ronaldo for that. But I have no sympathy for the way he's gone about handling it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Let's go to our first guess the player clue. It's me setting a clue this week. You guessing. As a reminder for the very basic rules, there are three clues throughout the show. You want to guess it as quickly as possible. You get more points the quicker you guess it. Uh, I'll give you your first clue. Right. I'm a 59-year-old ex-Manchester United player currently managing in the Football League. I am a 59-year-old ex-Manchester United player currently managing in the Football League. Okay. So let me try and piece this together. So 59, someone who probably retired. Definitely retired. Yeah. So probably retired around 2000, I would guess, from from football. Obviously, it doesn't mean you left United at that point. Okay. You said currently managing in the Football League. So I'm counting the Football League as the top four divisions, even though technically the Premier League isn't part of it. But that's kind of what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, right. You can think about it for a little bit, and you can still guess after. Yeah, I don't have a guess. I don't have a guess. I've got a few names floating around. But okay, I don't have a guess okay. Let's let's talk quickly about the rest of the game at Fulham. The we've spoken about Garnacho's goal and Garnacho. The first goal was a deserved one for Ericsson. He absolutely should have had another one and made that game a lot more comfortable. But the, that first goal was really good and showed especially the value of Casemiro, didn't it? Yeah, I mean the goal is everything that we we wanted from this United team: win the ball high up the pitch. And then be good in those attacking transitions. We've said plenty of times this season that we are very good in attacking transitions and very bad in defensive ones. And we saw the the good part nah, of that yeah. T. And, and the bad part should be said. The two the two goals well, for yeah. United and Fulham were remarkably similar in the fact that they both came from a team capitalising on the opposition's fullbacks being massively high up and no one recovering, but well enough. They, they were obviously not the same goal, but the circumstances in which they arose were p- remarkably similar. Well, yeah, and I think it carries on this theme that uh, throughout the last kind of two or three weeks, I feel like we haven't really learned that much more about this United team because it's been a repeat of stuff we, we've yeah. already known. We said that after yeah. the Villa game and it's the same against Fulham too. But the first goal, it, it, I mean, it's very similar in, in nature really to the first goal against against Everton too. You know, Casemiro winning the ball back mm-hmm. and then United quickly spinning that into a good attack. I think it also shows the value of, of Anthony Martial as well because he didn't do anything yeah. spectacular in that attack. You know, he received a pass in space and turned, took a few touches, dribbling forward and played an easy pass into Fernandez. But just that ability to receive the ball and turn, drive forward and play in a teammate is something that Martial does bring us that our other forwards don't. And it's just some kind of simple things like that. We that look, he really does. We look so much better with him, don't we? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> The, the last two games with him up front in the League Cup against Villa and then against Fulham today, uh, yesterday, it, it wasn't perfect all the time, but that threat in behind is so, so much bigger. And it seemed like a clear plan in both of those games from, from United throughout the first half. You know, we, every every time we got the ball, we looked dangerous in, against Fulham. 
in, in terms of that ball over the top in behind, we didn't always come off, but you know, Shaw played one down the side into Rashford that Martial and him probably should have done better with. There was a couple from Martinez that either Martial didn't quite control or a, bit, a little bit out of reach. You know, there's plenty of opportunities that United are creating in that sense. And it comes from having a just much better movement up front that Martial provides us. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that we've sat quite deep at Craven Cottage and I thought that was a kind of a, I don't know whether it's a good thing or just an interesting thing, but, uh, I don't think it's because that's how Ten Hag wants United to play, but I think it showed his just how far his pragmatism has gone in this first half of the season that I think the reason was because without Ronaldo or Anthony or Sancho, Alanga was the obvious option to start and he knew that the, the only real way to get something out of Alanga is to give him space in behind as we were kind of referencing earlier in our Garnacho chat. So we dropped deep to ensure that we could create that space and you just mentioned the, the ball, frequent balls over the top were because of that as well. So I thought that was interesting. It, we did show a bit of weakness in depth. Terrell Malassia copes well. It wasn't the prettiest right-back display. We really struggled down that right-hand side, but more than a comment on his performance, it, it shows good strength of character and trust from Ten Hag to put him in that very unfamiliar position. It was also incredibly weird watching a left-footed right-back. I've seen plenty of right-footed left-backs. A left-footed right-back was felt just baffling to watch. <laughs> it's it's so odd. It's such a kind of a jarring experience watching a, a fullback kind of on the wrong side of the pitch trying to play. I mean, we've seen it a few times United before, but not very often. But and but this one, I mean, left back, it seems all right. It's something about the fact, because like Dennis Irwin did it. Brandon Williams has done it in, in the more recent past. The great Ashley Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Whatever it is, it did, it did hinder us a lot because... Yeah. To be fair, before I say this, I think Malassia did well in the second half and he, he coped a lot better in the second Agreed, half. Agreed, yeah. It stopped, it, the play kept stopped coming down his side as often. But I think in defence, Fulham clearly targeted him and Willian started the game really well, which is also just an odd throwback watching Willian still play in the Premier League. But that, that's yeah. an aside. But I think the biggest thing was in our build-up as well. You know, Elanga obviously isn't sort of the best option we have at, at right winger and the combination of him and Malassia on that right side we just weren't able to progress the ball at all down that side of the pitch because it would come into Malassia and because of the angle that he would have to pl- pass the ball out wide with his left foot, for Elanga to be able to be in a position to receive the ball, he had to come so short, yeah. so deep to make that angle when Malassia could play the pass. That, and he just didn't want to. He was trying to spin in behind. Yeah. The ball just wasn't on. That being said, that is obviously a short-term thing. Yeah. Um, and I thought sometimes the way we played out from the back was really good. I think the one example I'm thinking of maybe must have been in the last 10 minutes or so was after McTominay had come on. Really good play out from the back, including a great turn and pass yeah. out wide from McTominay. He then got on the end of a header, which he 100% should have scored, but it was a great move and, and a sign of the improvement we've made in terms of playing out from the back, from even from the players you might And there were expect. a few great passes from Martinez into Ericsson through the lines as well. Yeah. Um, the McTominay sub, Ten Hag said afterwards, that the reason he brought him on, he said, I want to bring more power in midfield. Scott is a ball winning type, a power type, and he can make runs in front. Again, it was interesting that McTominay came on A for an attacker, for a langer, but, but then he also actually played that far forward. He was basically playing off Martial as a second striker. And it's, it's really interesting that Ten Hag sees him like that. Especially interesting because he plays in defence for Scotland. Previously, he'd been playing in midfield for United, and it now looks like his main role under Ten Hag 
will sometimes be in midfield, but also playing a lot higher up the pitch, which I can't think of any other examples of players who've had such a contrast between club and country It's very position. odd. I've got to say, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, as, as, of what Ten Hag does with these subs with McTominay and Fred whenever they've played and pushing them so high up the pitch. I, un- I understand, I do understand the desire to keep Ericsson deeper because I think there is... Yeah. You know, I, I've been plenty critical of United for a long time about how badly we see out games. And there is definitely an argument to say that having a player like Ericsson deeper will help us not go into that kind of panic mode where we're just hoofing it every time we win the ball back and it will help us retain possession. But I don't I don't think the, the, the way to kind of do it is to push McTominay or Fred into a number 10 role. To be honest, I'd rather them end up playing out wide where at least I feel like they're, the sort of industry will, is useful at that point. But Playing them as a number 10, it just stops so much of our counter-attacking potential. McTominay didn't do that badly when he came on. He was fine. But it's just, he's just not a natural I think, yeah, position. I agree. I think actually he has some really good qualities in those areas. And his physical presence is really useful, both in coming back to defend and also being an outlet up there and a presence in the box. But I, I think it restricts us. Because even then with a three-man midfield, we, we still couldn't hold the ball that well. And it takes, crucially, it takes Bruno Fernandes out of his best position, stops us having good width because now Bruno's there instead of a winger. And it makes Malassi's job a bit harder as well, or in, in this particular example. Yeah, exactly. And it, the, the biggest thing is that, especially at that point in the game, when we were drawing, not losing, is that we, we still need to be going forward and creating chances ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that one, that one attack where McTominay did do really well played a great ball out to Garnacho, but there was a lot of other times where he received the ball and just he just doesn't see the field, the, the pitch the way that someone like Bruno Fernandes does. And that's not a criticism of McTominay, it's just not his yeah. role. And so when we still need a goal, why, why would you take your most creative player out of the most creative part of the pitch? You know, I'd rather us, if we really want to bring McTominay on, I'd, I'd sort of rather us go to a flat three-man midfield with McTominay, Ericsson, Casemiro. So you still retain Ericsson in, a, in those deeper roles, but you don't have McTominay being kind of basically our main creative player. I know that can yeah. can sort of wreak some havoc with the balance of the team further up the pitch because you probably have Bruno coming too far inside. But you know, whatever it is, I, I I understand why Ten Hag is doing it. But especially when we're drawing and not winning, I don't love it, bringing McTominay into that role. Yeah, on the other hand, it, it definitely it does feel like a short term solution. I don't think we'll see it too much longer happening when. A, when players come back from injury, but also just long-term under Ten Hag. The final thing I'll say on the game, Fernandes speaking out on Qatar afterwards was top stuff from him and adds to a glowing list of, I don't know what the word is, not recommendations, but reviews of Bruno Fernandes' behaviour and character. Yeah, and He's a proper, a properly good person as far as everything I've heard. I've got to say, I, I think his... At least publicly, it seems like his his leadership has gone up a notch this season as well. He's always been clearly quite a you know a figure that is uh, he's he's always clearly been a leadership figure since he came to United. But I think at times he's been maybe a little bit petulant, and it feels like he's someone like we saw in the Europa League final where he had a bit of a doozy with Lindelof on the pitch. He feels <laughs> like someone that could maybe not be toxic, but maybe be a little bit too much. I, I like that on the pitch. This, it's, it's high expectations is what you need from a leading player. I mean, yeah, and, he, that, and that's what he's brought. But I think there are there are times when players like that can can rub other teammates up the wrong way. But it feels like yeah. Fernandes has, has really upped his, his leadership another level this season. And he really has kind of taken on that mantle for this team when I think there was, it would have been very easy for this team to have a bit of a leadership vacuum 
this season with Maguire oh, yeah. not playing, with yeah. Ronaldo not playing very well. And Bruno has really, really stepped up to the plate in that role. No, yeah, really has stepped up. And I would expect we'll be United captain within the next six months. Let's, we all get your second guess the player clue, if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, first one was, I'm a 59-year-old ex-Manchester United player currently managing in the Football League. Second clue, I had two spells at United, totalling 13 years in the first team. I had two spells at United, totalling 13 years in the first team. Okay, so I'm actually not 100% sure if this person is still managing a team currently, but he was in my head after the first clue because I know he has been a manager for a long time and he fits the second clue. So my guess is going to be Mark Hughes. Spot on. He is managing. He's at Bradford City and doing very well as it goes. I'm going to check exactly where they are in the table. But yeah, I think now I, I was just thinking maybe we should be setting a par for <laughs> like a par score for each of our clues. Because I was I was thinking that's probably a, a par two. Yeah. Some are, some are definitely par threes. Um, that was kind of on, on the borderline. But I think the two spells, is that is that what gave it away? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, he was in my head anyway from the first one because just the the age and the timeline seem to fit. And I obviously I, w- I wasn't 100% yeah. sure if he was currently managing, but I know he has been a manager for a long time. And then, yeah, the two spells was yeah. just what, because I couldn't really think of anyone else. Like there wasn't anyone else at that kind of age that would still, that would currently be managing off, off the top of my head. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of what made me think of him. And then, yeah, the two spells was. Steve Bruce, I would expect is a similar age, but. Uh, that's a good point, yeah. actually. In my head, in my head, Steve Bruce is a lot older than Mark Hughes because of the way they look. But actually, yeah, that's a good point. They probably are. Appearances, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, Mark Hughes did very well. I, I love the fact he took on the challenge of Bradford, having formerly been a, a good Premier League manager to take on the challenge of Bradford. I loved. He's got stuck in and he's uh, they're fourth in League Two right now. So yeah, wow, he's doing very well, well there. Uh, I'll tell you what the final clue is after quick youth and loan roundup. United under-18s played Manchester City on Saturday and City captain Nico O'Reilly broke the deadlock before half-time. Then Ethan Williams equalised for United, one possession back high up, finished past George Murray-Jones for a fifth goal in five games for him. Manny Norkett provided a top header to then put United ahead 2-1 after good work from Tyler Fredrickson on the wing in an unfamiliar position for him that he did well in. And then James Nolan converted from the penalty spot for a third. City got on back late on after Jack Kingdon had been sent off but United 3-2 winners and it's a really good win that. Lots of injuries and absentees, lots of the more senior players eligible for under 18s football who were playing in the under 21. So that's a really impressive win for Travis Binion's inside against a good City team. On the subject of under-21s, they played on Friday night against Monaco in the second game of the Premier League International Cup at Old Trafford. They'd drawn with Sparta Prague in the first game and lost this one 2-0. I was at the first half before heading to a gig nearby. Uh, the first half was decent enough, but with, with little action. Uh, and then in the second half, that uh, United missed two good opportunities, but Monaco were the better side and deserved to win. As for United women, Ella Toon has signed a new contract until 2026, which is definitely good news. We're in a women's international break right now. There are 14 United players representing their countries. Toon scored for England against Japan in a 4-0 win. Alessia Risso and Mary Earp started that game as well. Nikita Paris and Katie Zellum came off the bench late on, but Maya Letizia, uh, who is also in the squad, hasn't yet made her debut, may get that soon. In terms of 
Lone News, well, Ahmad leading the Lone News once again. A brilliant counter-attack goal for Sunderland. Finished off emphatically with his left foot. And I think it's worth hearing Tony Mowbray's thoughts again, the manager. He said this after Sunderland beat Birmingham City 2-1. He said, I think there's an understanding now that this kid's got real talent and deserves to be well-respected within the football team. In training, he's been unbelievable with the ball, how fast he is, how direct he is. You look at his physical data in every one of the last three or four games and he's had the highest distance covered, the highest sprint distance, the highest intensity energy runs. He played and scored a wonderful goal, but we see him do it every day. It's a glowing review from Tony Mowbray and I'm really glad to see Ahmed doing well. And that's exciting for United because there is clearly talent there. If he can fulfil his potential, that, that will be big. There were a few other players in action, but nothing quite as noteworthy as that. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Jack, the final clue for guess the player would have been, you guessed Mark Hughes, the final clue would have been, I scored the winning goals in the Cup Winners' Cup final against Barcelona, which I think would have uh, just put the nail put the nail in, would have made it fairly yeah, obvious. Yeah, I would have got it after that one for sure, but happy that I got it yeah. after two. Uh, I can't exactly remember the score each of us are on, but... I think, we're, I think we were both on three after two, go, after two rounds each, so I'm now on five, but you've obviously okay. got... A, a guess in hand, I guess we can say it. A guess in hand, yes. I was just nice. also looking up um, Mark Hughes' like managerial time. I didn't realise he's been out of management for four years. I feel yeah. somewhat vindicated that I didn't realise he was back in management. Yeah, yeah. But he joined Bradford. He's been there about a year now, hasn't he? Uh, let's see. I think. Time time has moved so strangely over the last couple of years and especially this football season in particular. That yeah, he's, he's been there since February. Kind of- yeah, okay. So nearing about nine months. Yeah. I also just, I didn't realise he was born in, I knew he's from Wales, obviously, but I didn't know he was born in Wrexham. I wonder if we could see him ma- managing Wrexham in, in the championship in a few years' time. Yeah, that's, that, that would be very possible. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, we'll wrap up. There's no game to preview. Uh, so we can tell you what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks before United return in a month and six days time against Burnley, possibly seven days. So four or five weeks um, against Burnley in the League Cup. Plan's not fully formulated yet, but you can expect a couple of episodes related to the World Cup, looking at how United players are doing, our thoughts on how the tournament's going, any big storylines. But more probably more interesting than that, we'll have one episode of a proper kind of not half season, but review of Eric Ten Hag's work at Manchester United so far with at least Jack, me and Kane Smith, who's been on the podcast several times this season already, uh, talking about various things, his tactics, the way he's brought through young players, the results, the way he's handled the media uh, and and Ronaldo um, and maybe a couple of other guests as well. We'll also have a episode looking at how the women's team have been doing, how United women have been doing uh, over the first half of the season competing at the moment for the Women's Super League title but with a main aim of qualifying for the top or finishing in the top three and therefore qualifying for the Champions League they play at Old Trafford 
They now have one game a season at Old Trafford. They play at Old Trafford on the 3rd of December. So we'll probably, that'll be out in the week before that game, looking at United women with a couple of experts, WSL experts and journalists who cover United in the WSL. And we'll probably, and let us know if you want this or if you're not that interested, we'll probably have a halfway point academy season review as well. Other than that, Jack, World Cup's coming up. Two short answers to this, please. Are you excited yet? And who are you backing to? I'm, I'm sort of like like 60% excitement, I think. Okay, yeah, well, I think I'm pretty similar. I think I, 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 I'm sure I won't fail. Like there's no way I won't be excited once the games start. But for now, it feels a little strange mm. still. Backing to win, I think I'm going to go Brazil. It's been okay. a while. It's been what, 24 years since they won it? That's way too long for Brazil. I think I, think I have four favourites. Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay and Spain. I'm backing Argentina to win it. I think Uruguay are... I mean, Uruguay are kind of perennial dark horses, even though they've won the World Cup twice and are a great footballing nation. But they have, the, the difference between Uruguay and Spain, I guess, is is Spain aren't really, expe- I don't think Spain are expected by that many people as favourites, but I don't think Spain can ever be considered dark horses. Whereas I don't think Uruguay can ever be considered not dark horses because the po- their population is so small that if they're going to do well, they have to be dark horses. That, that's how Uruguay, it works in my Uruguay head. is sort of like the Denmark of South America. Yeah. So like Denmark always get the same treatment in Euros and stuff where the team is actually quite good. So probably shouldn't be considered dark horses, but they're sort of this like footballing nation that isn't quite up there with yeah. the, you know, the Brazils and the Argentinas and the Germanys and England. But that's kind France, of, Uruguay is up there. They're, dub, they're two-time World Cup winners. Yeah. It's just the fact their population is so small that I don't think you can ever consider them anything but dark horses because it yeah. would be incredible if they won another World Cup. It was one thing winning it when there were kind of six or eight teams playing it in 1930. It's another thing winning it now. It would be amazing, but they've got a really good team. La- last um, question. But I'm back in Argentina. How well are England going to do? Uh, the my difficulty in answering that is so much of it's dependent on the draw and I haven't like studied the routes that England might take. You know what I mean? If yeah, yeah, the yeah. kind of route England might take if, if they win. So I think there's one route where we have to play France and Argentina, isn't there? In, in theory, have to yeah, play. I, but think, like, I, I think the in most that case, likely scenario, I think we'd go out to Argentina. So you, okay, yeah. So I, I think I could be wrong on this, but I think when I looked at it, I think the most likely scenario is that we would play France in the quarterfinal, I think. Okay. And then maybe it's Argentina who, in the semis. Is it is it potentially Senegal in the round of sixteen? I can't I can't remember exactly. The announcement of the England squad did get me a, a bit more. That was kind of the first bit of excitement I've had for the tournament. But it does feel very. It, it's just it's so rubbish, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> to state the bleeding obvious. Um, yeah, but I think yeah. I, I think the fact Reese James isn't there is a blow. I think if Kyle Walker can't play as well, that's a a much bigger blow. I just think England's weaknesses and the centre-backs are a lot less certain than they were at the Euros or even in the 2018 World Cup. I think Southgate's made an error over the last year not trying out enough players who deserved opportunities. But the attacking talent in England's team is amazing and the variety of attacking talent. If you think of, you've got the Foden and Grealish type players, compare them to the Saka and Rashford type players. It's a completely different style of forward that will cause massive problems for any defence. So the attacking talent's there, absolutely, but going to be very reliant on Bellingham and Rice. And if either of them get a knock or a suspension for a crucial game, then I wouldn't be hugely confident. So I think quarterfinals are predict for England, regardless of draw, 
but we should be doing better than that. This this England team should be getting to the semi-final. Also, the temperature in Qatar will also True. be a lot more normal for Brazil and Argentina and Uruguay than, and Spain than yeah, I England, think Germany, this should, like, France. This should really, in, in sort of the development of this generation of England team, this should be their best chance of winning a major trophy. Or maybe, maybe the Euros because it's easier competition, but... You know, 2018 World Cup was clearly the starting point for this team. Yeah. We only really got to the semi-final because of a very favourable draw. It was a, a, mainly a very young team. We're now four years on from that. This team has gone through a long cycle, played together a lot. There's a lot of familiarity among this squad, but it just, it feels like a lot has happened over the last year that's made you a lot less confident in this England team. Whether it's players losing form, injuries. It's partly, if you think about the key players, yeah, players losing form. If you think about the key players... Yeah, particularly Sterling and Maguire amusing for this who have lost form Calvin Phillips not being able to play he's, he's, he's going which I think is a brave decision but potent, probably the right one from Southgate but there's three that's that's an absolute spine of England's teams at, not at the Euros form, who's a, pretty much a guaranteed starter at this point yeah yeah. on the other hand Luke Shaw coming into form is massive and I thought the other thing the final thing to, to wrap up but the game against Fulham again we were talking about Garnacho's touch Luke, I've, I've, Luke Shaw's touch is such an indicator of, of how well he's playing. <laughs> and we've spoken about this a few times over the last few years, but his touch when he's confident is one of the best in football. Not necessarily that he can like bring down a ball from 100 feet and it'd be perfect. Not that kind of touch like some players can. The way he sets up the next action is absolute perfection. It is exactly what I'd show any young player. When Shaw's in form, his first touch is the most positive thing you'll ever see. When he's out of form or out of confidence, it's he always comes back, falls back on that old Van Hal <laughs> Van Hal teachings, but at the moment it's very good. <laughs> um he's quietly having a very good season without grabbing yeah. too many headlines. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if England are gonna win the World Cup or if England are even going to get to the semi final or final, Luke Shaw will win a game with a moment at some point en route to that. And on that positive United note, my, let's wrap my, up. My England prediction will be a semi-final with a with a penalty shootout win in there, but then a penalty shootout loss in the semi-final. Oh, I'd rather not go through it at all, really. I mean, so would <laughs> I, I but you know, you know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on that much less positive note, Let's actually wrap up. Thank you very much for listening to this, uh, what has turned into a bumper episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Much appreciated. Hope you've enjoyed this first almost half, one third of the season so far listening to the show. If you have, uh, you can support the, the podcast in two ways. One, by signing up to become a patron. Head to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod, POD at the end, for information about how to do that for as little as a pound fifty a month. Or just leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use that's massively helpful surprisingly helpful but yeah thank you for listening for more from jack over the next week or so you can find him on twitter at at utd tate t-a-i-t i'm at harry robinson 64 and the podcast itself at utd weekly pod pod at the end we're going to head into a patron q a that patrons get at the end of every episode uh, with a couple of questions so until we speak to you next time goodbye for now have a great week
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.